Among small GovCon businesses, a lot of the conversations speak to the concerns of companies who are already situated within government contracting. However, what about established new entrants, the micro smalls who are bootstrapping, or companies that have not received that first primer subcontract beyond one or two people? As we've discussed on previous podcasts, where do you start? And what do you do in those first steps? What do they look like? Welcome to Unveil GovCon Stories, where we explore the experiences and share the stories of small businesses in government contracting to spotlight the often sugar-coated or avoided discussions that speak to the reality of doing business within the U.S. public sector as a small business. In this episode, we want to take a look back because we're still getting questions about and seeing small businesses get tripped up on basically the basics. So let's jump into it. Let's talk about what we consider covering the basics. And then there's some things beyond just covering the basics that we want to kind of talk through today as well. But covering the basics, what do we mean by that? And what do we mean by new entrants? And and what is kind of the bare minimum of the basics? And we bring this up a lot because we see it a lot in working with small businesses. Covering the basics is a one or two person looks different than a 20 person company. It looks different than a 30, 40, 50 person company, all still small businesses technically. Um, But when we say covering the basics, there's gotta be some familiarity and ideally not things you're coming across kind of as the last minute reactionary understanding. So when we say basics, I mean, things that are often overlooked, but quite simple, like being registered in SAM. There are still companies out there that that are new to the space that don't realize that you have to at least exist in, in SAM as, as a business for the government to, to recognize you. Having some foundational understanding about how to price, pricing your contracts, pricing your subcontracts, those things all flow into and if your referenceable history in terms of working in government. And that's not a 20-person company thing. That starts at the beginning, at the foundation of even just you as an independent or you and one other. Understanding required skill sets. So making sure that you're hiring the right people for the right job, even if it is yourself, again, because these things have an impact down the road. Understanding compliance. We have had several conversations at several different points within our podcast about you know, whether you do this in-house or whether you outsource it or how you manage this, because we understand that these things all fall into an operational cost, but they matter. Understanding how to negotiate your contracts, understanding compliance, understanding FARs and DFARs when you're getting into these opportunities. Again, these are places where you have to start foundationally when you're jumping into doing government contracting. Another thing that we have brought up on more than more than one occasion, I'll probably alone almost every podcast, is understanding cash flow. There are a lot of hurdles, shall we call them, in government contracting. And many of them impact your ability to make money, earn money, sustain your con your employees that are on contract. So understanding how to build um, your pipeline and understanding how the importance of business development and those relationships and how that impacts your ability to grow which ultimately is your ability to fund your yourself or your company or your employees. So those are just a couple things that, you know, we've touched on already in a couple of different podcasts, but that we wanted to bring back up as well. I mean, Tasha, do you have anything you want to add to that kind of foundation list? No, I think you basically hit on everything that 
that I was thinking about. And I, I know we're going to talk about a couple other things that will probably expound on that because I would say my my trigger and something that I'm very passionate about, obviously, is the operations piece and having that repeatability, right? And, do, and starting that from the beginning. But we're, we'll talk a little bit more about using resources and being smart. And that's one of those things we'll hit on as we um, move through our conversation today. So we you talked about new entrants and I stated new entrants as well. And I think many times if you're in government contracting, like really off into it right now, many times when you think new entrance, there's different connotations of what that word means, right? Or what comes to mind. Traditionally, it might be a consultant, a consultant that transitioned from being an employee or a consultant and start their business. And they're a company of one or they're a company of two. And many times those are types of new entrants, right? And there's a spectrum of that. You have people that fall in that category that have been in the space for a while, a very long while. <laughs> you have some people have been, you know, I, I think I, I I probably fall in that space. Y'all probably falls in that space uh, where we've, we've started as consultants. I myself have started to scale the company, but started as a consultant. So I'm a new entrant from a business perspective but I've been in the government space over 25 years. And then you have new entrants that are consultants and or you know, transitioning from being an employee status into having their own business. And they may not have been in gov government as long, but their functional discipline, they may have been in that for a while. Although they're from a business perspective, they are a new entrant to the government space. But there's also a, a different perspective of what new entrants look like. You have fully established, very uh, mature, businesses in the commercial space that come to government contracting as, as Yaz alluded to as well, those they are new entrants as well. They've been in business a very long time. They have systems in place, but at how they do business or did business within the uh, commercial space is going to look different than in, inside the federal space. And that's definitely still a challenge area as well. I mean, for large businesses in, in the commercial space that come into government work, to your point, Tasha, it's a, it's a different landscape. So for all intents and purposes, you know, still a new entrant. And we, Tasha, correct me or not even correct me, what, which document was it where we came across there is a formal definition of, of new entrant? I believe it's the M2311 from the White House, Creating a More Diverse, Resilient Federal Workplace federal marketplace, I'm sorry, that defines the definition for tracking purposes, because there's been several policies, the, the M22-03, that advancing equity in federal procurement, Executive Order 14091, that further advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government. Um, and I think the Executive Order 13985 was another one. So there's been a lot of policies put out recently within the Biden administration about smaller businesses, new entrants, and in order for them to start measuring and tracking to see they have attempted to apply, well, not attempted to, they have developed a definition for new entrants. And it, it says in the document specifically for the purpose, the purposes of tracking progress towards strengthening the diversity and resilience of the federal marketplace, a new entrant will be defined as an entity of any size that has received a prime federal contract award over the micro-purchase threshold for the first time, also referred to as first-time entrant, 
or having not received an award in the previous five fiscal years, also referred to as re-entrant. A recent entrant will be defined as an entity of any size that has received a prime federal contract award over the micro-purchase threshold during the three-year period following the fiscal year in which it in which it is a first-time entrant. So there, there's very spe- uh, specific uh, definition that has been put out with, within um, those orders about what a new entrant is. And so, I mean, the definitions that been stated that's in the policy obviously vary from what probably some people um, immediately think about um, when they when they think new entrant or a newcomer to the space. Yeah, and I think that there's a, almost an emotional association with new entrant as well. So while there is a formal definition in that document, I think emotionally we all we all kind of have, stand together hand in hand new entrants in, in the GovCon space with a, a much broader definition. And I think for the purpose of our conversation, we are talking more generally about new entrants. So you may not have been awarded a prime contract and been in the government, you know, for your first year because it's a subcontract per that definition, you're not a new entrant. So for the purpose of our conversation, you are very new and welcome to government <laughs> contracting and, and consulting. And we bring this up because it, it matters. There's for I think some statistics we came across where the for the the there's about seven on average seven to fifteen percent of the new of the federal contracts awarded each year are, are new entrants. I'm not really sure which definition they use for that, but even if you use the more formal definition that we just read, a significant amount of of revenue going to new entrants when you consider I think the 2021 federal spend was like 600 500 600 billion dollars. 2020, in 2020, there were maybe 20,000 companies were first-time federal contractors. So there's a lot of new entrants every year. There's a lot of companies starting out in this that are learning things the hard way and jumping into this for the first time for the reason we continue to reiterate kind of some of the basics that we consider important to starting your journey in in the federal government as as a contractor or consultant. The one-person shop versus 20-person shop versus 50, again, as you're jumping into this, there's still new entrants and establishing your footing uh, is, is, a, is a tough role. To help kind of with that establishment, as you get a little further down the road, and as we've talked about kind of that baseline, you get that under you, there's things you really should start looking to do early on. And, and that's a, one of the things that we want to really dive into today in terms of the the adage or the old kind of tradition, I shouldn't call it old, but more traditional way of thinking is that you should be an established business, having worked in government contracts for two years or five years or have, you know, a large prime contract with a known government agency before you start applying for things like certs and schedules and looking to do some larger teaming arrangements. And I would argue that that's really not the case anymore and that there are a lot of opportunities for new entrants as long as you do your homework and do your due diligence and understand foundationally how to establish your business so that you're more prepared to, 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 to take these things on. I, I personally am a, I'm a DIYer. I do try and do as many things myself as I can, but I actually don't take that approach in terms of running my business. I take that approach in terms of building my house, which I thoroughly enjoy. But there are so many nuances to the landscape of starting a business in the government that that's not something I personally try and take on myself. 
Natasha, I know you're going through the process of getting your schedule right now. What does that look like for you? So I definitely brought in a consultant just because I have, you know, multiple plates spinning, basically. You know, we we have a B2B line of business where we're supporting other small businesses, um, put systems in place for them to pursue uh, government contracts and uh, doing that process development, um, creating the templates for them, integrating some of these SaaS platforms. You know, I'm building my team. So in addition to building my team, there's some customer delivery that I'm still doing as we're tightening up our SOPs and processes internally ourselves. And then in addition to that, we've recently won some state opportunities as well as a prime on the state side of the house. And so, you know, getting ready to start um, executing on on those opportunities, getting all the the systems in place for that, because one of them is more of a blanket purchase agreement type structure and the other is more of like an IDIQ. And so, as you know, those RFQs come out, we want to make sure that we're able to be uh, responsive in a timely manner without taking too many resources from our general operations. And then, you know, in 24, we're making a big push for the federal side. With all those things, and not even talking about the administrative lift of having a small business, I brought in a a consultant because I've done my homework. I've read the processes of what's required to do a schedule. I'm pretty sure I can navigate my way through putting together my own bid or submission for a schedule, but I haven't been down that process by myself and know kind of the ins and outs of some of the stuff that we all know is not listed in the instruction or the guidance that you, the free information or the information that's posted on, on the GSA website or, or the SBA website, there's always going to be some type of back and forth and the consultant, I'm not expecting them to do everything for me. I understand I'm bringing that consultant in to reduce the time that I have to spend on the back and forth. Once I provide the information that's needed so that I can be smarter about using my time towards all those other things that I just listed off that we're working in, in the business. And I did take, I think the more traditional approach when it came to the schedule, I didn't just jump into getting a schedule up front. I kind of waited a little bit. And I agree with you, Yaz, and, and kind of like, I don't, I, I don't recommend and advise when we, in our advisory piece for small business, I don't recommend, at least for the schedule, I don't recommend, you know, waiting a long time. Like if you have the quals to qualify for a schedule and there's different ways to do do that, whether you have the two years experience or not, going ahead and considering that being a part of one of the tools that you acquire and start doing the process for as soon as possible because it takes time to get it. And it's one of those things where I'm going after it because the way acquisitions have changed in the space, it's very difficult to find the smaller opportunities And even see the information on them, have the opportunity to bid on them because they're on the schedule or they're on these GWACs or businesses that are already in the agency that have other vehicles that this smaller work can get put on are snatching up some of that lower risk um, type opportunity that is most appropriate for new entrants, um, which I definitely still qualify for, even though I've been in the space as a business since 2019, I have not uh, had a prime opportunity and even my my subcontract opportunities have been very small. So, but under that definition, I am definitely a new entrant. And I would argue that, and not even argue, in my opinion, and I have seen in many, many a case that working with other large businesses as a subcontractor, when you tell them that you have a schedule, 
or when you tell them that you have competed on opportunities and submitted pricing and understand how some of these GWACs operate, or you're a subcontractor in a minor role, but have been through some of these larger and significant solicitations that I think small businesses tend to shy away from, they're more apt to actually work with you. And that's not to say yeah. that's the best relationship for you, but mm-hmm. it opens a lot of doors just because you have shown the aptitude and the ability to go through these processes. And someone, some certifying body or agency has gone through and checked the boxes and said, yes, what you submitted makes sense. It's compliant. Uh, it meets our requirements. And that's sometimes enough is credibility enough for other businesses to, yeah. to, to look towards working with you. Mm-hmm. It's credibility. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And I, and so there are a number of reasons why it may not be advantageous to wait until you feel like you've got everything aligned to go after um, your schedule or go after certain certs. I mean, while we know, you know, the 8A program is in a bit of a lurch right now, the paperwork is not something that's completed in an afternoon. So it may not hurt if you have the cycles to start looking at what the requirements are, even if the program does potentially change. That level of familiarity doesn't hurt you as a small business, especially if, again, going back to establishing a baseline, you're seeing a pattern of opportunities that you're interested in going after that have some sort of set-aside status. And, and the other thing we wanted to touch on regarding some of these certifications and, and, and moving your business forward in a way that you can sustain as well is using resources. We've had um, some amazing guests on directly from the SBA and other federal agencies, as well as contract and legal resources that help people get over these hurdles and help people get through these. And a lot of them are actually free resources. And while I personally have worked with some resources in the DC area for one-on-one meetings, do they always give you all the information you need? Not necessarily, but these are folks that are in one way, shape or form trained to provide you at least some base level of information. And a lot of times the only thing it costs you is a little bit of time. And so the risk of not doing using some of these resources is pretty significant given that it doesn't cost you as much as you stand to earn. I agree with that. And then you also um, get the value because some of them also make referrals to other companies that they may have talked to where you guys are saying some of the same things and it can facilitate a handshake that you otherwise probably wouldn't have had or may have taken longer to get that handshake. I think it's really- And another thing, I will add to that, another thing that goes further than I think people, I think people underestimate the value of being able to go to a contracting officer or or finally get an opportunity to speak to the right person and say, yes, I've leveraged all of the resources that your agency provides. You don't have to go into how valuable they were. The, the, you don't necessarily even need to voice your opinion on <laughs> their resources. Actually, you probably shouldn't. But to Learn that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep some stuff to yourself. But it's good to be able to at least say that, yes, I've, you know, I've worked with the Apexes. I've worked with my regional VA offices. I've worked with the SBA. I've had my one-on-one appointments. And it shows that you've done your due diligence and your homework in attempting to leverage the resources that the government is literally providing for, I'm using air quotes around free, but free. Yeah, government funded. That's the word. Government funded. Yeah. Correct. I need to stop saying free. Um, (laughs) 
Yes. So I definitely agree with all those things. And and I say I learned the hard way because, and I think it, it's, it's, it's my crux to bear having been in government so long, knowing how things work and then going to going through the processes that are instructed, you know, using, using the government funded resources at the PTAX or apex accelerators, the women business centers and so on, but then being frustrated because like even some of the information that I'm asking for is not really being provided because maybe for depending on the agency that I was talking to, they may or may not track the certain things that I was asking for. But me having been in government for as long as I have and even been a government employee, feeling like, okay, there's no reason why you shouldn't be tracking this. You're supposed to be helping small businesses. How do you not know? And so it's like, you know, I had to learn how to temper. Yeah, that conversation went well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't say it like that, but that's what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> positive. I didn't. I didn't. But I did ask very, very specific questions. <laughs> now, I did. And, and at some of the small business conferences uh, that I've attended, yes, I did ask, like, how do you not know how many small businesses you've supported? How do you not know how many small businesses that you have responded to when they've reached out to you or you referred on to other offices within your agency. Because my thing is, that's what you're supposed to be doing, right? So how do you not track what you're doing or know like the impact that you're making or having? I feel like these are things that, and I mean, it, it, obviously everybody don't, I can't expect people to think the way that I think. So I have asked some of those questions and pointedly asked those questions in the open conferences because I was trying to push back against the narrative that it's always the small businesses that are, doing the same things that we we've talked about before that we hear from the from the government to industry small business that they're the small businesses are just doing stuff doing things wrong and the whole how many times have you heard a small business Aussie blue lead or or representative get up there and say oh don't be a small business and come to me and say so what you got for me right and it's like I don't doubt their small businesses doing that I've heard some small businesses doing that usually, it's new entrants or small businesses that haven't done any business development, don't know how to do it. They're brand spanking new. They probably came from industry and don't know the government and contracting environment at all. Like it, there is a, a contingent of small businesses that probably fall in that category, but it's very, I mean, it is very small compared to the scale and scope of small business. And I think the conversation of, what we do or don't do well is oftentimes the extremes. It's the very mature. What we do well is usually modeled after very mature small businesses that are technically probably large in some instances. And then what we do bad is modeled off of businesses that aren't established and haven't even really done anything. And there's this whole collective that's kind of in the middle of that, that kind of just gets left behind in some of the information sharing that happens at the events. So. Yeah. And for those that haven't gone to, you know, some of the small business and industry events, that's another thing. And I think probably a topic for another podcast, because we could both go down a number of rabbit holes on the value of going to <laughs> events. <laughs> there are a lot of different kinds of events hosted by a lot of different groups and a lot of different organizations. And as always, I have thoughts and opinions on how to maximize the value of going to those events and investing your time in those events as a small business. But really, the, the, the key takeaway is that there are a lot of free resources to include some of these networking events where you can really get a lot of good information as a new entrant. 
to help you kind of build your your portfolio and your your pipeline as well as learn some helpful tips tips and tricks to to manage your operations so that you can invest your time and energy into things that are more forward leaning. Um, and with that, I think I wanted to just kind of recap because I know we talked about a couple of things and the things that we have talked about, we've talked about before, but hopefully it's impressing upon our uh, you all, our listeners, that it's important. We say these things on more than one occasion and they surface with other guests on our podcast as well because they're important. They're a thing that we as a collective small business group of small business owners have experienced and we want to share that information for with the, with the audience so that you guys can have a leg up and, and, and do things a little bit better or a little bit faster or a little, if nothing else, maybe a little less painful as you go through growing your business or in some cases, abandoning growing in the government space, which is completely understandable as well. So if, you had to take away a couple bullets from from this conversation. They are things we've said before, and we'll say them a lot more, many more times. You'll probably be sick of hearing it, but hopefully it's one of those things like your parents, you know, you, you hate hearing it when your parents say it, but once you grow up, you're like, dang, they were right. <laughs> um, hopefully these things go into, into the list as well. But of the lessons learned and things we hope you take away from this, especially as a new entrant or someone early in building your GovCon career, your portfolio, your company, uh, do your homework. Understand not just your government contracts, not just your contracting officers, uh, but also understand the things that could potentially trip your business up. Because some of those relationships, while key, can't resurface your contract if you've got compliance issues or can't get you a contract if you don't have a schedule or aren't on a, you know, a GWAC or something like that that allows the government to get to you. So make sure you do your homework. We talk a lot about building relationships and they are paramount in this industry, but making sure that your company has financial viability, has the, the past performance and the operational um, kind of structure and aptitude within your resources to be able to sustain your business. And that takes a lot of homework to understand what that looks like, but invest the time and energy now, because in the long term, it's a game changer when you're competing against other small businesses that don't have their stuff together. Consistency, being consistent in your habits. I mean, but that's just a life lesson. I think consistency matters in every aspect of, of your life. It's no different in running your business as well. In terms of your audits, your quality management, your tracking of past performance. I know we talked about that when we had Carla on in terms of how you capture that information and why it matters when you start going after solicitations. So there's a lot of different areas where you can concert, insert consistency and you should. Any place you think about it, it probably applies. Patience, I, I know that's a recurring theme and a lesson that a lot of us have learned the long way, the hard way over the long haul. Being patient, contract and rarely awarded when the government says they're going to be. Applications for certain things take longer than you'd like them to. Finding the right resources, not an immediate thing either. So being patient with yourself, being patient with the process and building in that patience within your strategy so that you're not stressed out because you didn't properly anticipate the timelines it's going to take to be able to grow and it's continue to scale your business the smart use of resources with repeatable processes, insert automation where you can, and insert outsourcing where you can, um, because adding those resources to your team, and we talked about building teams before, but that operational team to help you with 
submitting your schedule or compliance checks and contract reviews or accountants so that you've got, you know, your finances in, in the right order, but automating as well as outsourcing where you can to help offset that workload um, gives you a lot of intangible benefits. So, so definitely take that as a, a lesson learned. And as I said before, relationships, building relationships, not with just your government resources, but also folks in industry. Uh, we're here as a team. I mean, the reason we even have this podcast is because we're here to help. So don't forget to that, that part of build, relationship building also matters. Yeah. So it's so many lessons, right? And these are... I know in this episode, you know, we kind of just, we did, we took a step back and we paused and it may sound like a little bit of a duplication and reiteration, but taking advantage of the information that's being provided, you know, there's consultants that charge a lot of money <laughs> for the same information that we're giving out on the podcast for free and, you know, trying to keep up and keep pace with everything that's happening. I think that's the last thing that I would add to the list. You know, just like if you're a, you're in the technical field or you're in the humanitarian field or you have to keep up with what's happening in the globe and what's happening politically, technically you have to keep up with certifications and changes in technology. In the government contracting market, you need to keep up with what's happening with government contracting. Policies shift all the time. Companies merge. New companies come in. There's just a lot of change. There's a lot of events um, that take place that gives insight into different agencies and what they're doing and what their new strategies are and how they're shifting. There's a lot of modernization transformation, which I think is now kind of staying, right? You don't, it used to be there's a modernization initiative and then things go into operations and then you have another modernization initiative. I think there's a perpetual state of modernization and transformation just because of the rapid pace of how technology is changing and, and just the state of the state of the world. And if it sounds overwhelming and like way too much for you to be able to uh, keep pace with, you can always, always join, you know, Hive39. If you go to the 2039.com website, Hive39 is a community of consultants and small businesses where we share free information about events, opportunities, cost of appropriate uh, vendors that can help support you because it's time consuming to find the right type of support. And so we do some of the vetting on that and we post and, and highlight or feature vendors that may be valuable for you, allow for you uh, companies to post 1099 positions for the consultants that are out there. And so, yeah, join Hive39. There's no fee uh, to join the community. We give up and you'll get a quarterly report that gives you some of all of those things to be able to keep up with what's happening in the space. And with that, I think we're wrapping up for, for this episode. Thank you for joining us on Unveiled GovCon Story, the Hive 39 media production with your host, Tasha and Yash. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow us, and also leave suggestions. We're always in for content ideas as well as new guests. So if you're interested in joining us on the podcast, drop a line, check the show notes for additional instructions, and we look forward to hearing from you as well as sharing your ideas and thoughts.